actually seen that a million times, but um, yeah, good film, good ending. Um, I am going to do another one of these very shortly. Um, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. show that never doesn't give away the ends. Apologies for the delay in releasing these. Uh, I've had the subject and content of this uh, episode planned out for a couple of weeks now, but um, due to circumstances which I I might go into on the next one, I haven't been able to record. Um, I do hope eventually to settle into a weekly pattern. Um, I was thinking every Sunday, but we'll see how it goes. On to the first bit of business, I've got the first bit of listener feedback. Um, As you know, I always make a point of encouraging listeners to write in and let me know their thoughts on the podcast, uh, spoilwell at gmail.com. So I was very pleased to receive an email a couple of weeks ago from Patrick. Uh, Now, Patrick is an old friend uh, from whom I haven't heard in quite some time. He's actually the dad of my old uh, school friend, Jim, and... um, Patrick has some very kind words to say about the podcast, uh, too kind really, and then he, he added some thoughts which I'd like to share with you, uh, let's get out here, uh, he says, uh, I was reminded of many things that Chekhov said about endings. First, I can't get the blasted endings right, he complained about stories. Then, when you write a story, you should tear off the beginning and the end, because that's where we writers tell the biggest lies. And of plays, the man who discovers new endings to plays will open a new era. Um, So yeah, I found those uh, those three quotations uh, very interesting, especially that middle one there, Um, because I'm I'm sure we'll uh, touch upon many examples uh, of uh, people telling the the biggest lies, as Chekhov says. Uh, So you get these endings that kind of ring false compared with the what the rest of the story appears to be uh, setting up, and. also, examples of people who've, who seem to have taken uh, Chekhov's advice and just kind of lopped off the ending there. You get a lot of these kind of anti-endings. Um, sort of like on, you know, on this podcast, I'll, uh, I'll eventually just run out of things to say and then kind of just end it. Uh, so Patrick goes on to write, uh, The big question is, of course, are there a limited number of possible endings to films, just as there are a limited number of fairy tale plots? And um, I think what he's referring to there, I could be wrong, but uh, I think what he's referring to are the ideas of Vladimir Prop regarding narrative. And uh, at this point, a lot of people who've uh, known me for a while know exactly what I'm about to say. So Vladimir Prop was a, a theorist who studied fairy tale narrative. And um, I think either he came up with the theory or, or the theory stemmed from his work in some way that there are only uh, 31 basic narratives and, and every story is pretty much a, a variation on those. I think it's 31. Uh, we'll say 31. There, there are only 31 possible stories, one of which is Fraser is dating two women at once and has to hide one of them in the kitchen. And uh, that joke about props narrative theory and the, the repetitive plots on the TV show Frasier, uh, that's an off-the-cuff remark I made when I was like 17. And uh, I've repeated it many times in the intervening uh, 
decade and a half. Christ. Uh, so now it's finally uh, been recorded for posterity. But yeah, thank you, uh, Patrick, for those those uh, remarks. Uh, you've raised the tone of the podcast, only for me to immediately lower it. But um, yeah, I was over the moon, uh, first of all, to uh, hear from you after so long. But uh, secondly, as I said, to uh, to get some feedback. I keep saying that the more contributions we get, the better, because um, I know there are a lot of uh, very clever people out there. The ideal scenario for me is I come on kind of talk rubbish and, and give, a, give a sort of a, a diaristic uh, impression of something that I, I want to talk about, whether it's something I've seen recently or, or something I, I half remember that I, I've been uh, thinking about. And then I can I kind of supplement that with maybe more insightful uh, contributions from listeners. And um, as to the question of, of whether there are a limited number of endings, um, I guess that will be apparent from how repetitive this um, show gets. And I, you know, I do for for my own reasons that I might I might go into for for um, on the the next one. Um, I do want to keep this uh, going pretty much indefinitely. So we will see. Uh, you know, everyone else will get tired before I will. And I do, well, I do plan to talk about some short stories at some point, so um, we may actually eventually get round to Chekhov himself as a, a kind of an early master of the form. Then again, it's, it's more likely that I'll just keep promising to talk about all this highbrow stuff and then, you know, end up talking about the end of Malcolm in the Middle or, or whatever. So today's uh, subject for spoiling is a, a film. It's a film close to uh, the hearts of many of the nerds out there, but one I, I hadn't actually uh, seen before I watched it a, a couple of weeks ago. It's John Carpenter's John Carpenter's They Live. Uh, I'm not sure if this is the first film in which uh, John Carper inserted his name into the title, but I, I think he's stuck to it for every film since. So uh, you get John, John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, John Carpenter's Vampires, John Carpenter's Escape from L.A., etc., etc. Um Unfortunately, it's not a titling convention that uh, anyone else decided to adopt. Uh, how great would it have been if uh, other filmmakers had started putting John Carpenter's in front of their film titles? Uh, you could have had uh, Ridley Scott's John Carpenter's Alien, uh, Steven Spielberg's John Carpenter's Schindler's List, uh, and of course Francis Coppola's John Carpenter's Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, which would have been great. Anyway, um, they live probably needs a uh, little introduction. I kind of caught myself last time giving a, a bit too much synopsis. Um, but basically it's Carpenter's uh, action movie tribute to 50s sci-fi B-movies uh, starring Rowdy Ruddy Piper. Um, it's about a, a monstrous race of aliens who live among us and use uh, TV and, and consumerism to keep humans servile and complacent. And uh, I guess the first thing I want to say is uh, this is a really beautiful looking film uh, throughout but especially I, I love the, the beginning part before the uh, action and comedy elements sort of come into it a bit more it builds up this real sense of dread quite slowly um, and then it's a it's a lot of fun you know af after that when it gets really um, uh, when it kicks into gear um, you know, it often feels like the uh, the script has had pages torn out there's a lot of kind of we are in this place now we're in this place um, also machine guns, a lot of just randomly firing machine guns in any old direction and hitting all the bad guys um, who can't hit you. And there's about three scenes in this film where a character's literally surrounded by armed police and uh, 
and they just sort of wander off. They just sort of wander away, and and no one follows, and and it, you know they 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 just walk off. Um, but call it dream log logic. That's what I do. Um, and this kind of casual uh, approach to to narrative is exemplified by the ending, which was just so abrupt and goofy. I knew I had to talk about it. So basically, um, Roderick Piper. I I don't know. Uh, the character name, uh, but there is one, I just can't remember it. He's able to destroy the satellite that's broadcasting the alien's um, brainwashing signal. Um, he destroys it by shooting it with a gun, which is their one weakness. Um, he dies in the process. Uh, the world wakes up to the alien capitalist uh, menace. The The true forms of the, uh, the alien newscasters are, are revealed on TV. Um, and then, right, we cut to a naked woman, and, um, okay, this happened a lot in 80s films, you, the, the scene would cut to a naked or topless woman for no reason whatsoever, it didn't usually happen right at the end of the film. Um, the naked woman, uh, she's credited as naked woman in the end credits, by the way, um, as is, there's also a character in the end credits called the, uh, like, Arab shopkeeper, or something, so, you know, it's the, the 80s. Um, anyway, naked woman. She's naked because she's having sex with a man. Um, she looks down at the the, the man and uh, screams, and uh, it's it's revealed that it's it's one of the hideous aliens, and uh, and then the the alien goes, uh, "Hey, baby, what's wrong?" And that's it. <laughs> that's the end. Of, that's that. That's how the film ends. That is the end of the film. Credits, theme song, the end. But naked woman will return in from Russia with boobs. Um, and I, like I say, I was watching it for the first time the other week and I, I just wasn't expecting such a silly ending and I, I really loved it. It was, it's, it's like the sort of thing that other films of the era might have put in a, in a post credit sequence, but it, it just, it, it's, it seemed to sort of typify that, that sort of slightly goofy John Carpenter, um, feel that you get with a lot of his films from around that time, especially the, the, um, Kurt Russell, uh, films. So anyway, yeah, good film. John Carpenter's They Live. Um, I'm sure everyone else apart from me had already seen it a million times. But um, yeah, good film, good ending. Um, I am going to do another one of these very shortly. Um, thanks for listening. Bye.